Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. All right. Well, I am very pleased to introduce Christine Hunter on episode one of the Revenue Hustle podcast. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Really excited about the new podcast and the opportunity to to speak together. Well, I appreciate you being a guinea pig here as uh, we (laughs) we kind of figure this out as we go forward. But let me just give you a quick introduction. So Christine has been in marketing uh, her entire career. So she's been at Infor, a big multi-billion dollar software company in a variety of roles, predominantly field marketing and demand generation, which we'll dive a lot into. And, And prior to that, uh, at a company called the Rockwell Automation for four years. So, Christine, I just teed it up there. If you want to just give a little bit more color on what you're doing now and, and kind of what roles you've been, we'll get into more of the detail about your career kind of uh, towards uh, the, the middle or latter part, but just uh, okay. tee up for the audience just kind of your role. Sure, yeah, I'll talk about my current role, and then certainly as we talk through um, other elements, I'm sure the, the rest of it will weave in, but um, currently looking after the uh, demand generation function um, for our America's business. So really focused on our team around uh, partnering with sales to drive against their growth objectives and develop new pipeline and ultimately uh, contribute to revenue, which is why we're here today on the Revenue Hustle podcast. That's right. So it is all about revenue and marketing plays a really big role in revenue. And I know there's a lot that's changed in the marketing um, field over the years, whether it just be, you know, just supporting sales, or now there's been talk of marketing kind of being as an equal to a sales or a partner to sales. And and so um, how do you think about revenue just, you know, in your day job, like how does Infor, how do you view marketing's role as it relates to producing the revenue, which we know is um, a, a loaded word sometimes. So maybe it's even helpful just to start, like, what does it mean for revenue to you? Like, what, is, mm-hmm. what does that word mean? Sure. Yeah, I think about it in, in two ways. And I was actually on a, um, a call earlier today when, when we were talking about revenue and just that it's, it's not all created equal. So it's not, there's revenue that comes in through the services, through our partner network, um, through what the sales actually, the sales team books. So there's lots of different um, kind of facets or things that contribute to revenue, uh, where my team and, and my personal uh, interest or tie into revenue is, um, is our contribution through the sales bookings that happen every fiscal year. So, um, you know, we're really thinking about how do we drive pipeline so that that can, you know, be booked. Certainly, we're looking as we um, think about more of a, a SaaS model, um, what's the overall lifetime of, of what we're building and, and how that's increasing, not only the annual contract value, but our uh, total contract value over time. And we're excited to see that, you know, certainly increasing uh, year over year in our business. Fantastic. And I think that's, you know, a lot of people maybe outside of, of um, sales, you know, and I, I know bookings may be a new word for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't know, is bookings a word that you found to be used commonly inside of marketing? That's generally more of a sales term. Yeah, it's definitely more of a, a sales term. I think we have used it as a part of our sales and, and marketing alignment. So uh, kind of back to some of your earlier points around just marketing in general and the evolution. I think, it, you know, we all know that the Mad Men days of, of marketing, which are really brand, you know, centric and, and drove a tremendous amount of, you know, change there. And then um, there's a lot of uplift there that can happen with brand. But as the organization started to evolve, then there was in um, a lot around events. So there was really field marketing functions that aligned to local sales teams and how could we drive people towards events. And as digital came into play, um, that really transformed into some digital marketing. And then we just really see the intersection of really kind of that the, a traditional field marketing role, which is regional, as well as a demand role, 
um, you know, with digital. And I, I've really seen those merge together a lot. And then certainly as a subset of that, um, you know, kind of a surgeons around account-based marketing still mm. thinks in terms of accounts rather than necessarily leads, which is historically um, where I think the starting point was for, for marketers is how do I get new names into the door? That was our, you know, baseline, baseline goal. So, um, right. Yeah. So new, so new, new names in the door, right. And salespeople always want hot leads, right. So the yes, Glenn, right. Gary, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross leads, right. The, yes. Um, you know, coffees for closers, a great movie. <laughs> so as you think about, um, you know, marketing now and the demand generation, how do you guys define demand generation versus brand versus field? So mm -hmm. like, um, how do you, how do you guys at Inforge in your career kind of define demand gen? Yeah, for us, um, where we've defined it is, is I could maybe simplify it into two things. One, we are the, um, the team that runs campaigns um, so we're often the campaigns team. We own the marketing calendar. Um, we own that marketing mix. So really campaign focus. Um, and the demand gen team for us, that we are uh, quota carriers similar to sales in that we carry a quota for pipeline and booking. So mm -hmm. I do directly as well as um, all of the, the marketers on my team. We have a shared responsibility in terms of pipeline contribution. So um, that would be different with some of my other marketing colleagues that probably have other KPIs. But when I think about demand and our focus, it's really around how do we really um, open new doors. And ultimately, that leads into developing pipeline that the sales team can take and, and run with and close. Right. So that's a huge point. Right. And, and I know you and I mm -hmm. talked about this in the past, but there's a lot of marketers out there. A lot of firms think about marketing's role to be very different from sales. And, you know, you've mm -hmm. always heard about the friction between sales and marketing and that they're never quite getting along and sales doesn't <laughs> really like the leads, you know, and, and yes. marketing's always complaining that sales never follows up. And I think there's a lot of truth historically around mm -hmm those stereotypes but yeah um, what's interesting is how you guys are being incentivized or your targets and quotas which i'm guessing is how you're ultimately bonused mm -hmm. or compensated as a team it's on pipeline right or and then revenue right. that gets closed so talk about how that came to be and how that's driving alignment um, or how you've seen it not do, uh, do the opposite you know in maybe past jobs yeah absolutely so actually when i uh when i started um, in this chapter in, in my career, it was a very, I talked about kind of the field marketing model be, being very event heavy. And so that, that's really what um, the KPIs were around was number of events kind of executed as well as the number of attendees. And so if we really start, when we started there, what was missing is how does that impact the business? We all get a great feeling most people do, I should say, when you go and, you know, you've got a really great conversation in person. I wish we could do more of that, certainly right now. But when you're doing events, um, there's just something very, very tangible about it. And so you walk away with this positive feeling. But being able to connect that back to the business, um, you know, was, was really difficult in terms of the way that we were, you know, tracking or that's really what the business was asking back of us, certainly from a sales perspective. And then if we think about just finance and what they're investing in marketing, what am I getting right. in terms of a return, you know, return on that investment? So we needed to think about um, other more similar business metrics that we could communicate that really had us have a seat in the, you know, seat at the table. We were linking arms. And so we really started uh, many years back on um, this demand generation target. And at the time, I was an individual contributor. Um, but really was involved in some of those early um, processes. And we started to think about um, pipeline being our, our number one metric. That's where there was a shared interest between mm -hmm. sales and marketing. And so um, we looked at, you know, what was the sales bookings target for the year? How much pipeline do they need to have in order to meet those booking targets? So what's their coverage? Um, that's anywhere from a three, you know, three to five X, depending on, you know, what, what your model is and, and um, kind of what you're creating. And then from that, how much of that would marketing sign up to directly contribute? So not just influence. We know we're actually probably influencing a lot of the pipeline in, in one form or another, whether they come to the website once, 
you know, maybe they saw an email from us. There's a lot of light, you know, touch points that are, you know, that are happening there. But we really focused on where marketing was sourcing leads and opening up, you know, new opportunities. And so um, that's where we started. We started by looking at pipeline and then um, started having those conversations around how do we think about the funnel and get really deep in terms of our measurement of the funnel, the conversion through stage, which is, you know, in many ways similar to how, you know, a sales team is operating, how much of this qualified pipeline are we closing? What's coming into forecast? What's committed? Um, so trying to really think, really put ourselves in, in their, their shoes and say, what is it that they're driving? How can we help to be partners in, in driving that forward? I find that just personally on a, a human level, when you see someone is, you know, out to do some big initiative and you kind of come and understand what they're trying to do. And if you can give your strength or your gift to them um, to help that process, that's really a normally a really positive outcome. So how could we from marketing come alongside sales and say, we both, you have a goal of achieving this, we can help you here. We're even going to say, we're going to help you so much that we're going to commit to carrying the quota alongside wow. Uh, of you as well. Well, I'm sure there's a lot of marketers out there and salespeople envious <laughs> of that relationship that you guys have at uh, at Infor. Like, how did that come to be? Like, how did that did that just like yeah. naturally evolve? But a lot of times there's just like either hostility or just there's a lot of hostility. Because I'm sure there's a lot of other people that would, would aspire to have that. I'm curious, like if, if Infor just if there was specific leaders that had good relationships or just how did that come to be? Yeah, you know, the the person that I remember kind of bringing the model in, he was um, at the time head of, uh, he had a, a lot of different things. He had demand gen, he had, um, he owned a part of the, the sales team. I think it was maybe the channel um, sales team at the time. So he was a really good you know, kind of mix of the two had this sales um, you know, mindset coming in. Now, I don't know the, the behind the scenes, what those conversations were, but certainly if I think back into, you know, his type of role and, and the conversations that he was having, um, it was how can, you know, we get more out of, you know, this marketing relationship. And it is, frankly, it's a lot of hard work. Even when you set the metrics, that does not mean that the relationship is going to be positive. That's just for me, a stepping stone. At least it's like a token that we say we're in it with you. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a lot of labor in actually building the relationship and it's a lot of listening. It's a lot of, for marketers, like understanding what is the go to market and making sure that all of our activities are aligned to that. My Nirvana state for every business is for someone to be able to say, this is what my sales leader, these are their key initiatives for the year. These are the things that we are doing a lot. These are our marketing initiatives tied to that. And here are the campaigns that we're running that are tied to that as well. And then if we can connect the dots really thoughtfully in our um, reporting back, then you know we have a greater chance of really communicating the impact back to the business. Sure. So a lot of communication, you know, we've done a lot. We've had lots of broken sales and marketing relationships that either I've been a part of or, you know, have witnessed and all of that. And um, normally where I see is certainly a, a commitment often, you know, from the marketer's side to say, I'm going to go and over communicate. I'm really going to be listening. I'm going to really make sure along the way we're kind of lockstep and um, so that it's not, you know, we hear a lot. It's like marketing is doing this thing here. Sales is doing this thing here. Maybe there's some impact, but right. no one would kind of celebrate it together. Um, and, and we've been able to see a lot of success in, in different pockets in, in that um, in our wow. team. And, and how does that communication keep going? Do you have like leadership meetings where marketing and sales are, you know, whether it's monthly, weekly, quarterly, like how mm -hmm. does that just continue to manifest itself? Yeah, I was actually uh, looking at kind of reoccurring meetings today. So I've got probably more, re you know, real life examples. It certainly starts at the beginning of the year. So when, um, the sales team is doing their budget meeting. So uh, during that process, uh, marketing being involved in that, um, they're normally not able to fully bring their plans to the table at that point, but it's definitely more of a visionary session and then a listening mode. We wanna be really listening there to see where does each line of business, where do they expect growth? What data can we look at that says, okay, based on where they think they're gonna grow, where has demand gen had an impact before? 
And so we can make recommendations either in terms of budget or headcount to go and grow in those areas and make sure that we're aligned there. So really, I like to think about it around strategizing yearly, and that's around the fiscal planning. Um, we plan quarterly and kind of quarterly cadences in terms of campaigns and our budget, but then we're really executing on a monthly basis in terms of the actual activities, what's coming up in the next, you know, three to four weeks um, in our in our calendar. So we start there. Um, we definitely do kind of checkpoints as, as we build the models together in terms of headcount and talking with sales, um, you know, where appropriate along the way. Um, it's always helpful if we can hear back from the sales team around kind of their rep coverage, making sure we understand where are they going to add reps. Um, we've been in not great situations where reps are added and then um, we weren't, uh, you know, uh, given anything additional from the marketing side. And so we kind of have to place our best in a, in a different way. So, um, again, the ideal state would be if we can go in together and kind of make the recommendations together. That doesn't always, you know, happen and we certainly make it work. Sure. Um, but you know, that's certainly ideal state. So, uh, you know, we start there and then we have, you know, ongoing cadences with the team. Um, people do it a little bit differently. We typically take a little bit of the lead from how sales does their cadence. So if they're in a weekly cadence or, you know, we've got sales leaders that do monthly leadership calls. So making sure that we're presenting our plans there. Um, mm -hmm. but we at minimum are always communicating results back. Um, to the team on a monthly basis. That's where we can kind of see, uh, we can talk about trends over time. Um, we are um, evolving, you know, a lot of that too. And, and through those sessions, listening to, to hear what is impactful for the sales team. But in those reviews, we want to talk about the health of the business, what's happening in terms of the four quarter rolling pipeline, which is, of course, the traditional way that sales, you know, looks at the pipeline, what's coming up, what's happening in the current quarter. Um, so we think about four quarter rolling pipeline, how much of that is marketing contributing to the four quarter rolling pipeline? And then what have we added in the last 30 days, in the last quarter, you know, in the last fiscal year um, that, you know, depending on industry, however long your sales cycle is, right. um, you know, certainly could impact three or four quarters, you know, down the line. But we want to be able to communicate that we're continuing to add. Um, we're not just good with the status quo like okay great you've got enough in the four quarter rolling pipeline so um, my job's done it just right. doesn't it work like stops. that we gotta keep, keep adding in keep right adding that's in. where the hustle part comes in right that's, that's exactly um, right it never it never ends and so yep. how do you guys think about attribution because then it, it then it becomes um yeah. a big deal right as to whether or not that pipeline is tagged one way or another or maybe there's shared attribution how do you guys think about giving credit towards sure. where the pipeline originated Yes, and let me, I, one other thought came to mind just as, as that, because we talked about the positive things, but I'll also share the negative, because I always like to hear about things that don't, when it doesn't go well, um, so we can learn from that, and then I'll answer the attribution sure. question too. Where there's historically been, or maybe all the time, this sales and marketing breakdown is when we're not thinking about the business health overall. So sometimes we're like, yes, we're performing on our marketing targets, but the collective team is not performing on their target. So it doesn't really give the good one team vibe. If we're coming to the table, we're like, yep, we're knocking it out of the park. And then sales is missing their targets. You know, they're like, what are we celebrating? So then that shared metric kind of becomes a arbitrary thing, like a nice to have, but not meaningful. Um, and so that's where we started to add more and more what is the sales team looking at? That's why we like that four quarter rolling pipeline B to do a longer term view. And that's where often I'll have conversations. This person keeps asking me for pipeline, but I'm hitting my numbers. And we go and say, well, what does the four quarter rolling pipeline look like? How much coverage do they have? Are they sitting at a two X and they need to be at three X? Well, that's the gap that they're feeling. Even if you're not feeling it, that's what they're feeling. And that's where they want our help. Um, so those are kind of the, the conversations that we have around why there's pressure around pipeline building and, and why people are coming, you know, to marketing to say, how can you help me? Even though we feel like, oh, my God, we're doing all this work. What do you mean? I can't add more, um, you know, to my plate. But it's it's typically in that little um, mm. conversation where there can be a gap between, you know, sales and marketing. So. Um, when we do look at the pipeline, you asked about attribution, how do we, you know, how do we look at it? There's a lot of different, you know, models there. 
Um, there's a lot of science, you know, we're trying to really add a lot of science around, you know, marketing. The most common attributions are either based on the first touch. So the first thing that, you know, that you did with them, um, that type of channel. So whether it was social media, email, et cetera, that first thing gets attributed or gets the value. Um, there's the last touch, which is the thing in our world, which is the last thing before it became a lead because they could have come in from paid search, but then we nurture them. And then actually it was an event or a webinar that they attended that kind of took them over the line. And so we give credit to the webinar. So that's another way, um, but there's also really more of a, a multi-touch attribution model. And you can do that either across the line and say, I'm gonna equally weight, or you can do a weighted um, attribution model. And um, that, that's really helpful in terms of looking at influence. Um, that, that's typically where I've seen it used is uh, is around influence. But when we're talking about signing up for pipeline, um, it's really more around what are we sourcing, and so that first touch or, or last touch is what mm. um, what we've kind of traditionally used. Right, and then do you track that down through uh, your CRM to to see yeah. like what their last activity was before they convert to a lead or something like that? Yeah, we start. Um, it comes into our marketing automation platform. And then that's where all of the scoring happens. We've got a lead scoring model. So um, you can auto MQL, as we say, you can automatically become a marketing qualified lead, but uh, not every activity is, is worthy of that. And so um, we score, they come into our database and we score them. And then based on their score, uh, we have a lot of people use 100. We actually use 80, um, knowing that between 80 and, and 100, sometimes there's other activity that happens after it goes to our business development team. So um, in our case, it gets scored in um, our marketing automation platform. Then it flips over to our CRM, which is where our business development team uh, follows up on the leads. And then from there, they convert it to um, an opportunity after it's been qualified. And, uh, and then it goes through the regular sales stages and, and cycles that are tracked right. in CRM. And you're not fighting with sales over pipeline attribution, right? I mean, sales doesn't really care, I guess, that's, where the credit goes per se on, on the pipeline creation sometimes. or- That's probably, I mean, it's not, I wish it was as clean. Um, it's certainly in early stages when we're building relationships, um, it's not always, you know, crystal clear. And then let's be honest, like it's a little confusing um you know marketing is a little confusing in that it's not linear it's not right. um yeah. you know yes you have this meeting and then you book another meeting and you know there's a lot of factors that are at play and so it's really you know tough in those you know cases I, ideally we'd like to be just winning you know winning together um you know in some cases they you know there's really not um a care around it because we're we're winning together in other cases we do have hard conversations around you know are we is this actually you know attributed and, and things like that and you know in, in my world what i say is like we want to have integrity around the reporting it came up you know recently this actually didn't come this was more of an influence it wasn't sourced and so we said okay absolutely like we're going to actually take the code that our marketing code off um, because we want to have integrity you know in our reporting and you know appreciate you bringing it up and that's our challenge to go solve and how do we better um, report on where we're influencing or moving deals forward. Um, but we kind of need to create that reporting channel rather than trying to like, solve, you know, put a bandaid on, on something that is not the right, right fix. So. Right. And, and, and I mean, marketing so hard because there's so many different touches, right? Whether it's word of mouth That's and then they right. come and do something like how do you, there's just so much that can't be tracked. Mm -hmm. um, it's happening outside conversations, and 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 so it's a it, it's worthy to pursue that end goal, but knowing that it's never perfect, right? There's no yeah. like in sales, you can always kind of track when the first conversation happened and kind of when they fell out of the process. But marketing is really hard to yeah understand. It's, it's really hard. In some ways, it's getting a little easier with a lot of tracking that can be done digitally. Um, so that's you know, positive and more people are, you know, researching online and, uh, and doing that. And so we're able to, to kind of get more of their, what we call their digital footprint, you know, up front. Um, but then there's more and more regulations, frankly, that are coming in around, they need to get, we need to give consent for us to be able to track them. And so we're kind of in this interesting place now where maybe we have a lot of capabilities in terms of the tech, 
but now we've got these new regulations. And so that's actually limited some of our um, ability to report too. There's people that can come and you know browse on our website, but they don't give a give consent for us to track them. So they're, you know, we it looks like our volume has gone down, but it's not. It's just that I have to track it in a different way. So you know, there's some kind of um, headwinds there um, in, in terms of what's coming out um, in terms of privacy, which is absolutely understandable. Um, but it does, you know, make it a little more complex for us. Got it. And so how do you, um, so I guess the salesperson's responsible for actually defining the pipeline or the opportunity size, right? So there's yeah. probably some sort of, you know, right, you're, you're, you know, whether it's a big a number or a small number and, you mm -hmm. know, some sales reps would rather have a bigger pipe. So they'll just inflate numbers or sometimes be yeah. more conservative. Like, how do you guys just again, because that ties back to your your you know your numbers your metrics your compensation like how do you get over that little piece yeah it does um you know there's exactly what you said some are inflating and then some are not so there's a little bit that kind of shakes out just in, in the wash of that that we think it's you know um good uh, we actually went through with in in one of our regions with new sales leader that came in and um by our ability to track every stage. So we um, have adopted serious decisions in their waterfall you know, methodology. And so we do a lot of um, you know, diagnostics on what, you know, what's happening from the MQL all the way to close and what, what's falling out at every stage, what's getting stuck. And so that's some of the conversations that we're having in our monthly uh, reporting back with sales. And uh, we had a really great partnership in one of our regions where um, the sales leader, you know, really took attention to that. And um, he was doing his own, you know, kind of pipeline cleanup with his team, um, but also has really driven a cadence with his sales uh, reps and, and directors around making sure that there's actually progression happening in the opportunity. Um, so they're only staying in stage at a certain amount of time. They're, right. you know, getting valued and, and all of that. And that was a positive outcome from the sales and marketing relationship, you know, that was really built up to ideal state is that we're bringing some of this data to the table, um, but sales is, you know, taking action and, and having some accountability. Because um, at the end of the day, we don't put the value on the pipeline. I don't want to. Um, that could get really in the muddy waters. Right, sure. um, but we just at least want to basically be good stewards of the opportunities that we're creating and making sure that we're delivering a good customer experience. Um, after they get out of marketing PMs. Right. And and so because of you guys have this pipe shared pipeline uh, goal between marketing and sales, I think it would be make it, it's easier then for you to demonstrate ROI to the business, you mm -hmm. know, from marketing, right? If it was just Correct. like like you, you know, earlier in your career, whether you, you know, a number of events, how many people showed up and yeah. and you could show all these wonderful things, um, that, that's that's fuzzier to kind of show ROI, but it seems like the way you have it now, it's easier to demonstrate it is. that, is that true? Yep, yep, much, much easier because we can kind of point back to, you know, this particular type of channel is driving this type of pipeline. We're able to track where it closes. And so we do a lot of analysis around that on what's working, what's not working, where do we want to invest, what are new types of channels and, and things that are coming into play so that we can make sure that our marketing mix is, is modern all the time when we're putting it together. Because whatever worked 10 years ago, likely is, is not working today or if it it's working in a different way meaning like email is not dead but you got to be different in your you know your emails when it first started right. um kind of a different game and i thought it was really interesting too you talked about the process by how you get to the numbers right or the mm -hmm. the pipeline that you're signing up for because i i you know, you're almost taking us inside of those planning sessions to say, okay, mm -hmm. you know, whether it be the CEO or someone says, okay, we're going to grow to this amount this year. This is our internal target, right? And then it, yeah. does it all flow down from there where sales is like, okay, if you want, we need to, you know, have higher, this many more sales reps and, and marketing has to do X, Y, and Z to get to the coverage. So just take us inside that process about sure. the annual planning. Cause I think that's um, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, it's really kind of a, the first, Step is really a sales and, and finance conversation around the growth. So they're typically doing that um, that planning, you know, upfront. Where do we want to see the growth? What has there been achieved, you know, over the last year? Um, but then we will start to get in the conversation once they kind of have version one or you know some early versions of that, knowing that it is certainly going to modify. 
um, based on like the full fiscal year performance, but we'll take that selling effort number, uh, which is what we call the, you know, our bookings. And from that, that's where I kind of get into my world of, of spreadsheets and, and thinking about what we're going to sign up for. So we think about how much pipeline, what's the coverage that we want to commit to as a business. Again, that's anywhere from like the three to five X based on the region and kind of the mix. Um, 3X is normally very um, common for a perpetual on-premise type of business. And then we see 5X in the SaaS, um, you know, pipeline build. Or we've used 4X as well in some models where there's a lot of blend of type of pipeline and, and bookings that need to be created. So, um, you know, we start there. What's the coverage that needs to happen? Again, between that 3 to 5X. And then what is the percentage that marketing is going to contribute to that? Um, that can really be, I've seen, you know, really companies like ours of our size and enterprise really in that 25 to 30%. Um, you know, some spaces, if you're running a ton of net new business or in smaller organizations, you may be in the 40 to 50%. But in our group where there's a mix of we're selling, cross-selling into existing customers, there's some, you know, upsell or, or kind of conversions happening as well as net new kind of average out in that 25 to 30 range 30 is probably pretty you know pretty aggressive um in a, in a north america market that's the pipeline you're committing to correct yep that's the pipeline that we're committing to um and then from there i take it back uh, and also think about what's the booking so we have we kind of model the pipeline then we also model the booking so what percentage of bookings are we going to sign you know sign up for i've seen anywhere from 12 percent to about 20% um, of where marketing is going to contribute, you know, to bookings, knowing that, you know, some of the things are obviously going to, you know, fall out of the funnel as they get qualified and, and things like that. So we take those two numbers as our North Star, um, if you will. And then I back up from there and say, what's the average deal size? Um, not just overall sales average deal size, but from my past history, what is the demand gen source average deal size? Sometimes we're higher, sometimes we're lower, um, but whatever that is, I'll take that and then model back to the marketing qualified lead. So how many bookings do I actually need? What's the conversion rate from bookings to qualified, yeah. qualified to accepted, accepted to passed, and passed to marketing qualified lead. And so that's where we get some of the volume um, targets that are not in our compensation, at least, you know, from where, where I've been, um, but certainly are, are leading indicators that, that we give to a lot of the marketers on our team to manage the health of their business. So it's a math exercise, really what you're going through. It's a math it exercise. It is. Yep. And we look at historical performance um, to see what has been the conversion rate. Is it performing above average? Then we kind of maintain that. If it's performing below average, then we know what the averages are and we'll do some sort of step change, um, whether to get them to average or something that's you know achievable. I, I want to make any of our targets stretch, um, but something that people can can attain. I don't, I, as much as I can, I want to avoid it being demoralizing for sure. someone and yeah. kind of walking away thinking I can't do this. So, um, in my business, which is you know complex with multiple lines of business, we kind of we commit to something at the regional level, but then I do go in nuance based on each line of business. Um, still, I commit to a regional target, but then some groups maybe you know there's kind of different characteristics that maybe they can contribute 40% to the pipeline. So, but another business can really is in a growth you know startup mode, so maybe they can only do 15 or 20. So we do some balancing exercises there. Um, and really what I love about how we've built it is we do that actually in conjunction with our business development team. Um, they also carry quotas around opportunities passed. So we do a shared model where I'm kind of committing to what I'm going to give in terms of marketing qualified leads. We're sharing the target around what's passed and then all, all the way through the funnel. And um, we come to the table together to share results with sales too. So a really good uh kind of partnership with the yeah. sales and business development and marketing in that case wow yeah that's a great inside look into how you guys actually kind of get to the numbers right and how you yeah. um back into what you're willing to commit to mm -hmm. um, 
And so then from there, you're probably driving your budgets, right? Like how much money do I need? Do I need more staff, need more, you know, correct tools, yeah. technologies, uh, ad spend, right? So is that kind of the next or the final step in the, in yeah, the planning process? Yeah, definitely part of the, you know, part of the next step. So we look at that as a, you know, starting line. Um, so we can say, okay, if I need to build that pipeline, what is the marketing budget and headcount that I need to support that? There's, you know, certainly a, a lot of, you know, modeling that can be, you know, done out there. I've seen, you know, budget and headcount splits, you know, kind of maybe, you know, 35 to 45% in the headcount side and then the rest in program spend. I think, again, that all kind of depends on what stage you're in, in, in your company and um, the type of marketing that you're, you're doing are you in a volume business. Is it more B2C? Is it B2B? You know, are you taking more of an account-based marketing approach? Are you trying to drive, you know, inbound um, or do a lot of outbound campaign and, and orchestration there? So there's a little bit of budget modeling that we do around that. Um, and then, yeah, we look at the, the program spend and saying for every uh, two other metrics that I track with my team is um, back to the ROI or the output for every dollar, marketing dollar I spend how much um, pipeline am I getting out of that? And then how much am I getting in bookings um, on that as well? And, um, you know, I think in, in a lot of companies, it's about, you know, $20 um, for pipeline output. Um, you know, we've seen it, you know, upwards of 40, you know, or, or more dollars. Um, so we can do, again, math exercise. Thankfully, I was good enough at math or at least have figured out a way around a, a, an Excel spreadsheet to make it work for me. Um, and so that's another calculation too. Um, and, and seeing what's the step change. Um, we also look at, you know, if we don't get the budget that we thought that we, you know, could, how do we partner and extend with, um, you know, with other uh, either vendors or with our um, channel and, and alliance partners that maybe have some shared interests. And we can go and do some cost sharing there if we have a you know shared outcome that we are right. looking to drive. Right. Well, great. And that's um, yeah, that's a lot of detail on the numbers, and <laughs> I, mean, I think it's really helpful for people to you know measure themselves against, right? Because I don't know yeah. if there's that much precision in a lot of businesses today um, mm -hmm. as it relates to their planning and and measurement. So uh, thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. So what are some of the things that you are doing just from a tactics and tools and processes standpoint that you, um, you know, that you're investing in right now or you've seen success in, you know, there's some people saying, well, Facebook ads are all, you know, should be on LinkedIn, <laughs> you shouldn't be yeah. in certain places. Uh, there's a lot of opinions out there. Um, so how do you kind of think that through and what are you doing today that's producing fruit? Sure. Yeah, I, I think about it always. It's back to um, the, your go-to-market. Who is it that you're trying to reach? So everyone's marketing mix doesn't look exactly the same. Maybe it's similar, but then you dig a little bit deeper and it's different vendors or they're doing different capabilities or, or something like that because it's really who are the people that I am trying to reach? Where are they naturally? And how can I go meet them there? Or what is it that I can put in front of them that would um, you know, you know, grab their attention. And so, um, you know, events used to be, you know, we can't really do any live events now, but um, we're, we're very limited, but there was a heavy emphasis. And that kind of goes back to the early marketing days that I, you know, that I've had where it was field marketing. So there was a lot of event, you know, centric things. We're obviously moving, you know, away from that. We were doing so quite a bit, um, you know, earlier in terms of digital and just the expectations that there are from a consumer standpoint, um, when you are buying and shopping online and doing all of this, there's so much science and personalization that's there. And um, it's, it's kind of really, if you think about it bizarre in your day to day that for like eight hours, you get this one experience and maybe your B2B world and then you go to B2C and you have, if you think about it, a completely different, very personalized experience. So we're really trying to the end of the day, and this was, I think, a you know, myth from many years ago that B2C and, and B2B were very different. I think the difference is just the number of people that are in the committee for buying, you know, singular versus multiple, um, you know, people. But at the end of the day, you're still selling to people. It's a person to person. You're building a relationship, you know, whether that we're probably building a deeper relationship based on the, you know, dollar investment versus, when I walk sure. into CVS, you know, down the street, but I'm still buying, you know, from a, from a person. So 
Um, that's kind of the North Star, what we keep in, in mind in terms of where, where are people at and who are the types of people? Am I reaching, you know, a developer or, a, um, you know, a VP or, a, you know, or an executive and things like that? So we're seeing a lot of, you know, digital engagement demos and trials are, are really working for us. How can we, we're in the software business, how can we expose people to more of our software earlier in the cycle? Um, you know, that we'd love to be able to do you know more and more of that when we do have those offers um you know they really convert well um through that so we actually see a lot of people still you know obviously coming to the website um chat is a really popular option and there is a lot of um kind of evolution and sophistication that can be done with chat um so that it's not just a very linear but you can make it interactive where you're offering multiple content pieces maybe you're not ready to chat today but can I offer you one other piece of content? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? So I'm always just really recently challenging my team on what, what's the next step? How are we actually delivering a connected buyer journey? So they come to the website. What do they do next? Right. What do they do next after that? And next, you know, like really thinking about, is there anywhere that's a dead, you know, dead end? Um, so, you know, we've been really looking at that. There's obviously a lot of, you know, virtual summits, which have been um, originally we were thinking about them almost as a replacement of events. Like, okay, we're just going to turn our live event into a virtual event, but it's actually a really different experience. So we're now thinking about what were the outcomes from live events, which was this executive relationship building. How do we go and do that? in a virtual way. So it maybe doesn't look like having a virtual booth. It's maybe not an all day format of, right. you know, content and all of that. Um, so we're just trying to think what are, you know, what are the milestones and what are people needing, you know, right now? And, um, you know, how, how you and I kind of got introduced was through, um, you know, through the world of, of assessment and really believing that in times of change, um, people really want something to ground, you know, ground themselves in, especially if we think about the people that we're reaching out to, which are executives um, and really achiever type of mindset. Right. They're looking to see how am I performing against my peers? What am I doing that maybe someone else is doing, you know, that, that I need to incorporate into the business? And so um, I, you know, took one of the nine lenses assessments you know, through a, through another one of your, uh, you know, your clients and kind of got introduced and thought this is something that we really need to bring to the table. It's kind of not in the same family as demo, but something that's a little bit more interactive right. um, in, in an experience and something that is a high value offer back to, you know, to them. We see a lot and we've been listening a lot, certainly through the, you know, the onset of the pandemic around how um, people they're planning in shorter cycles, like in 90 day cycles, rather than three to five years, because we just don't know what's going to come next. And so we need to be able to deliver value to our customers, like as quickly as possible. Right. And so um, I think assessments, you know, truthfully are, are really one of the ways that we can deliver that, you know, there's a small time commitment in terms of a 10 or 15 minutes to complete an assessment but there's something instant that you get back, which is of high value, which is says, here's some recommendations, here's how you're doing. Um, so you can feel good about some areas, um, you know, maybe that you are performing above and, and beyond, or, um, you know, maybe some areas that you need to grow. Sometimes it's right. validating. Um, sure. You are maybe thought that you were gonna go there, but um, it, it's really good to get that type of benchmark. And for us, when we're trying to re reach executive audiences, um, we really are, are in the belief and the agreement that that's something that would be a really high value um, to them and, and would really help to accelerate some of the conversations with sales as well. Absolutely. And I think one of the things that marketing, uh, you know, like obviously we met through nine lenses and, and, and interactive mm -hmm. assessments. And, and so one of the things that we see, and I'm, I'm more of a natural seller than I am a marketer, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm still learning all about marketing and, and, um, you know, one of the things I think is interesting is like when you're buying, you're always asking yourself, can uh, this firm, this software, this sol solution solve my problems? And I'm mm -hmm. trying to answer that question for myself as the as the buyer. Right. And I'm reading your yeah. website or watching videos or attending webinars. Um, but I'm probably the least equipped to answer that question. Can that 
firm, that solutions solve my problems mm -hmm. because I'm just not educated enough. Now I'm educating myself by reading content, but I'm still a really um, in a bad position to answer that. And so people mm -hmm. come and leave and, and, you know, come to bad conclusions all the time. And so where I see marketing continuing to go is like personalization, right? Like you were talking about, I think it's hard in, in, in kind of the B2B space because you just don't know much about these people. They're mm -hmm. buying on behalf of the business, not personally, right? Whereas mm -hmm. like you can get all sorts of stuff about individuals online yeah. and their shopping habits and all sorts of things, but in B2B, you can't have it. So I think that's just one thing from like assessments, being able to provide instant value that's tailored back to that person in where they are, kind of meeting them where they are, helping them understand just am yeah. I good, am I bad, and educating them in a way that allows them to, you know, ideally take a, the next step, which is a more meaningful mm -hmm. discussion. Yeah. Um, it all kind of t ties together there, and I know you're just about to go live with your interactive assessment, so yeah. we're um, very excited to kind of see that you guys have been a great partner. Um, so let just we got a few minutes left here. I would love to just you know, Christine, just kind of have you take me back to the you know in college or in high school, and when you started to think about like your career, like how did you end up where you are today? Like just how how did you get into marketing? Did it find you? Did you find it? Um, just take me. Next. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of found me. That's how a lot of things in a way I um, I was actually thinking about this in, in preparation for our conversation. And um, I could trace it back to um, I interned or volunteered at the Make-A-Wish Foundation and uh, went, I believe, to a trade show to represent the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And um, I thought this is this is fun. Um, you know, we get to meet people and, you know, I'm, you know, kind of an introverted extrovert. So, you know, this, this works for me. So what can I, I liked that experience. And so I thought, what can I do? That was an event. I, I did. I always liked um, events. And so I thought, okay, not really a wedding event planner. It's a lot of emotions for me, um, you know, to be in, but I thought corporate events, well, you know, why don't I do that? And so when I was, um, I went to the University of Texas in Austin and I uh, was an intern uh, for a smaller company that was then acquired by Rockwell Automation. And I um, was their spring intern for uh, their annual user conference. So I thought I'm going to go into um, corporate events. That was my, that's what I, planned to do when I got out of, you know, college, I was fortunate enough to take that internship and turn it into a, a full-time role at that company. And so I spent many of my early years in, in the event world, I was responsible for the events. And then um, that's how I came into Infor was in their field marketing organization, which was very event centric. And um, I've really been fortunate, you know, at Infor where there was kind of doors opening, you know, one one after another. And at the time, probably about six months into my time at Infor um, was the creation of this demand generation role. Sales was saying, I just, I'm talking to too many people. I just need a single point of contact for marketing demand. And, um, and I was named the leader for the, our manufacturing business at the time to be that single point of contact for for demand so that's kind of how I switched a bit from the events role into demand and um, since then just kind of took off in terms of learning around demand um, you know taking on the strategy side of the business and and over time at that point I was really an individual contributor but um, being able to take on additional responsibilities and, and get into um, you know running running the region more more than one region and looking after multiple uh, lines of business and, and leading a team of marketers now that um, that all align to the sales team in developing that pipeline. And and um, what skills do you think that you've you know sometimes it's hardest for ourselves to see our own skills and our you know mm -hmm. gifts uh, that translate to success. Uh, like do you have any idea like the what skills that you've really relied on as you've progressed very quickly? Yes, um, thankfully I'm a big believer in strength. Based assessments too. Speaking of assessments, so um, I I love Strength Finders and the Strength Profile. Um, so I would, as you said, I probably actually marketers are sometimes the worst marketers of themselves. So I probably would not know except for that. Um, but but really do believe I, I personally have strengths around empathy, around um, you know relationship building. I'm very achiever and kind of a maximizer type of mindset. I'm very adaptable. So those are some of my kind of core 
strengths. And I think that combination really coming to the table, certainly in a sales and marketing, in, in terms of the empathy, really trying to understand where are they coming from? What are they trying to achieve? How can I come to the table? I love building relationships. Um, so that I think is, you know, really essential, certainly in a field facing type of role. Um, and then I'm always really, I heard on some other, you know, kind of talk, kind of like addicted to growth. I'm always thinking about how can I adapt? How can I achieve? What am I um, doing next? And sometimes I've certainly not believed in myself that I had the capabilities to do it, but an opportunity presented itself. And I thought, right. okay, I, I guess I'm doing this now. <laughs> and I just uh, figure out how I can uh, learn along the way and, and take some of the strengths that I have and, and put it into the job. And um, I've had some it's not all been, you know, peach and, and roses and, and all of that, but it has been able to make some incremental, uh, you know, moves professionally. So that's been nice. Well, that's been great. Um, it's been yeah. great working with you too. So I'm glad yeah, I had too. the opportunity to cross paths here. So I'll just wrap up mm -hmm. here and just, what are some of the hobbies that you have? Is there anything that you do outside of work when you're not thinking about uh, pipeline coverage? Yes. <laughs> yes, what am I doing? I um I am a huge um I don't really want to call myself a, a foodie, but my husband and I love love trying new restaurants. It's beyond just, you know, just food for me. So um, you know, we really enjoy that, enjoy um kind of concerts and, and music whenever we can get, you know, back to that. I love traveling. So a lot of my hobbies are on hold right now um because of where we're at, but really, you know, love traveling, but any um, kind of intersection of, of food, music, travel um, that I can bring is um, is my favorite. And then doing some reading sometimes too. I'll, I'll give a plug for one of my favorite books, which is the intersection of the two. It's called Setting the Table um, by Danny Meyer. And um, he talks about his philosophy around um, the hospitality industry. And um, for me, who loves food, and I love his restaurants. I thought, I'm just going to read this. And um, it was actually, it's one of my favorite business books, which is mm -hmm. maybe, you know, business and leadership books. Um, so a little read on, reading on the side, well, too. Look, look into I that like one. That. Uh, yeah. that sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Christine, for your time and being guest number one on the Revenue sure. Hustle. That is a, uh, an honor to give to you. And, and uh, <laughs> um, thank Thanks you so for having much. Me. And uh, we'll hope to catch you down the line. It sounds good. All right. Thanks. You bet. Thank you for tuning in to The Revenue Hustle. This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses. Close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at NineLenses.com. See you next time.